All right, we're here with episode three of It's Server Time, and as you guys can see, we have Clone Note, and we have him twice now on the far right with Launders there. I think the way it works with um, brown people in the scene, and I can say this as a as a semi brown, as a semi brown <laughs> person, like this is what you this is the privilege you get as a mixed person is that you can kind of uh, take whatever color you want to fit yeah, your like, own agenda. Imagine if I just came in with that, like <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> on yeah, the airlock, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> so um, is that everyone in the scene now? Launders is now just budget you. So emote came in; he was budget launders. I don't know. Note is is he budget emote or is it budget you? And this is your your take. Your take. You're on the hot seat. Uh, emote uh, emote's kind of moved out a little bit. I think notes coming in, so he can take <laughs> oh, the second shit. place. But I think emote he started making content for MIBR, and MIBR dissolved. So. Mm, okay. I'm not saying there's a correlation there, but can he be trusted? <laughs> no, no, no. Note is his own person, a unique human. Definitely not the budget of anybody else. In fact, he he writes more than uh, some of the other Browns in the scene. So we'll uh, we'll move on from this point. I don't know. I don't want to keep going on this. I don't know why I chose this angle coming into this one, but it's just what was on the top of my head. So, <clears throat> all right, let's get into it. Launders here will be uh, at the upcoming DreamHack, if I'm not mistaken. Had a little bit of a break in the scene. We won't get into that either. But let's talk about games. Let's talk about why we're actually here. We're here for Counter-Strike, and we are here to talk about what just happened at IEM New York, which happened in EU, of course. Hmm. Interesting title. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's keep it loose. So I'm going to start with you, Mix. Of the top four teams at New York EU, who was the best team, tactically speaking? Um, I don't know if I'd say they're the best tactically i guess also kind of like a hard thing to answer but my favorite at least is og because they actually kind of remind me a lot of how um xc9 used to play our team and just that like how they're they have a lot more set things especially on the t side and ct side like a lot of set plays and they kind of always know what they're doing like on their ct side there's always a play for like aggression they always have like something in mind they're not just like sitting around and waiting which i really like on their ct sides and their T sides are pretty aggressive. They're always like, there's always like a plan from the start. Like Alexi B or someone's like trying to get out and do something. So I think my favorite team at least is OG. But I also really like like the diversity of Fnatic and how diverse they are and, and can be like mid round and mid game. And that's also something that I don't think OG quite has as much of. So maybe if I was going to say best, I might say actually Fnatic, especially on LAN. Um, I think their style works really well. Just Overall, just it's so use useful and like diverse, and it's just really good, really good. Yeah, I think in general, I would say Fnatic is definitely my favorite out of those four, tactically speaking. But specifically for New York, I think that OG just looked a little bit more well-rounded. Um, Fnatic was a little bit shakier than than I've seen them before, but. Overall, I would say Fnatic would be the, the more fundamental, better team that I enjoy watching from a tactical perspective out of those four, but but uh, OG was the one I, I did enjoy watching this tournament specifically. I had problems with everybody. I mean, I, I'm a huge OG shill. I have yet to get merchandise, but I've been trying my ass off for like almost a full <laughs> year now. Uh, I picked them three times at Blast, and I was like, right, I think two out of the three times when no one else picked them, and it was Kind of a joke at first, but I just like Alexi B for reasons other than necessarily just like how good the team is. Uh, like I love him in interviews. I like his IGLing style. Um, I find him interesting. But I just did a demo on Alexi B today, and it it, it felt like 
like Mix is saying, OG have all these great ideas every round, there's direction, but then it feels like they don't dry run or something. Like the execution sometimes is really poor and then the talent is a big question too. So I love watching them play, but you're always always just constantly disappointed at the same time. Yeah, Alexi B can sometimes strike me as the kind of IGL where they may have gone into a game with a set game plan, but then, you know, five rounds in, <clears throat> he recognizes something that's different than what he may have anti-stratted, and, or maybe it's just straight up they're playing off of an anti-strat. And so they, like you said, they don't dry run it. So it's kind of like, okay, they had this idea, but because, but until they actually get into the server and they're actually facing somebody trying to execute whatever style this round is, then it's it can be a little bit rougher for them. And that's kind of, that's sometimes what IGLs do. And I think this is something when I was on Space Station where uh, sometimes we'll, we'll see something that is totally exploitable, but unless we actually ran it in a match before, it's pretty hard to put it together uh, on the fly such as that. So sometimes your reads can't be quite, I mean, they can be on point and they can be correct in theory, but execution is a totally different story. And it's why it makes Counter-Strike such an interesting game to watch because sometimes uh, the theory was completely right, but you whiff the shot and you just have to uh, just get upset at your own mechanics in that sense. All right, yeah, so, yeah, so, so staying on that point though, OG's run to the finals. Um, we're all fans of them, it seems like. Uh, what do, how would you guys classify their style of play? Would you guys say like... Just for a viewer at home, would you guys say this is like a loose, aggressive style? Would you guys say it's more of a passive kind of set play style? Uh, how, what words would you guys use? I would actually say more like set aggressive from like what I saw, especially a lot of the time. Um, just kind of like going off base of what I said there. But yeah, more of like because Alexi B as an IGL is also someone that's kind of be more in like the thick of the action and like he's going to be putting himself in positions to like make plays and have a lot of impact. So it's kind of a lot more of a like, there's like a set thing, but it's also pretty aggressive just because of that aspect. So Lexi B is obviously very active. He's trying to do a lot compared to like other IGLs like Golden that are more so just kind of on the edges of the map, or especially on their CT sides, like kind of just anchoring and not doing as much. So I think in that way, I kind of consider them more set aggressive. Yeah, I see that too. I mean, I watched the 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 one that Mirage game, like the entire T side. I don't know if it's because like Ensteady defaults too much or something, but they didn't hit. They didn't go mid one time. I think they went. They were mid like one anti eco. The rest of the rounds, they either did a full B exec or a full A exec. All their A execs failed. All their B execs hit. And they like killed Kirby, Brokey, and Coldzera in the same few seconds. Um, but it's weird because like what's 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 good about them is that like I think like you were saying uh, Maui. Sometimes they. We'll call something in a round. You can see that it's because of a piece of information. They'll just like all group up, group up, and hit something, and they don't really waste time to get there. But once they execute, it's not always the perfect execution, and so it does feel like they're kind of calling on the fly. But I think it's definitely true. I feel like they're both a mix of aggressive and like kind of a fixed, um, fixed execute style. Yeah, I think that's definitely around where they're at. I think. They definitely struggle a bit with their mid rounds once they're actually into into sites. Sometimes, like they struggle to adapt um, just on the fly. But for sure, in terms of like their general style, they they do just execute and and do it pretty aggressively. So I would I would concur with that. Yeah, I feel like sometimes the players don't always have a lot of agency on the team, and I can tell that everybody has bought into uh, the OG just like the idea of Alexi B being this one voice IGL. 
But sometimes you can see that sometimes the plans are just weird. I remember there was one round uh, against FaZe on Dust2 where it's like they're in a post-plant situation and they have some they have a little bit of cat space. Uh, they have space towards site, but it's a 4v5 and they know that they need to do something to try to find an advantage. And like three people jumped from cat into CT spawn and there were just, you know, three phase players there. And it's like, you never really see that, especially like, so it's it's kind of like Alexi B is just like, his brain just kind of like light bulb went off. Guys, I think we can catch them as we jump into CT spawn, right? And then it's like, you see three dudes just jump down and then Cold Zera, KRB are like, what the fuck? And then they just, they just shoot him as they're falling into them. It's like, okay, sure. And then the round's over right there. And I, I like that they all trust Alexi B, but sometimes... And I think we're all getting on to this point now that it's just they like like the ideas behind it are just really haphazard and just like really on the fly. And like it's it's uh, like like the thing is, if you're a player in that situation, are you really going to be like, nah, fuck that. I'm a I'm a stay here on catwalk and let you guys all die because everyone's going to see you. And you're like, they're like, what the hell is that? Why are you there? So uh, I think that is kind of a, a like just a micro instance of this greater picture of, of ideas being sometimes a little half-baked at times and i like i really like how they get map control i like how on ct side they use their utility very efficiently like i feel like every piece of utility from og had some purpose in around I, I rarely see them waste nades but sometimes in those like tense moments it feels like if alexi b isn't on point with a call that team can just fall apart at, at the drop of a it's it's like everybody wants to be furia but no one wants a death match you know all yeah i want to have tons of fun playing counter-strike but they're not prepared for that aggression mm-hmm. and they don't have the same because alexi is backed up by and obviously like naturally mbk and validi are gonna have like their own ideas at times or like just kind of naturally like kind of conflicts like it's just something that's naturally gonna happen because they've opened igls in the past whereas with furia i think it's all just like okay whatever art does and then we just do whatever he says and we're just aiming <laughs> whereas with with og it's a lot less because like kind of like what i said on furia is like with furia it's like all the same language but with og it's more like alexi b is kind of like this guy but it's you know an international team so the comps are never going to be like that great or that perfect so it can be really hard to always like really execute well especially if it's not something you've dry run well, the other thing is also with furia like a lot of their their mid rounds are planned already around what Art's gonna do. Like they've already pre planned or they've they've dry run stuff to adapt whether Art gets a kill or not with this play. Whereas as I said earlier with with OG, it's like some of their mid rounds just fall apart because you can tell they haven't been in those situations before. They haven't actually drilled to to adapt to some of those. Yeah, it's um, it sometimes does feel like Alexi B just the Messiah that needs to be a. Uh... Listen, I mean, like, art is kind of in a similar sense, but art puts everything on the line. And th like you said, no, it's just kind of like they, they know what's coming next after art makes XYZ play because he actually kind of repeats his plays at times. It's not just something on the fly all the time. Uh, I wanted to touch on br really briefly that it looks like to me that OG brought a lot of anti-strat to the table when we saw them at this tournament. I, I remember twice against Fnatic on pistol rounds. There was once on infer on train where Alexi B just with the timing naded above ladder and did like over a hundred damage with a single grenade uh, on a pistol, and then on Inferno they double naded the apartment window where Golden was jumping across. So on a pistol round again, they bought two HEs, which is just pretty unheard of for the T side, and they caught him caught him crossing five v four advantage. We're able to convert the round. So so that to me 
says that OG went into this tournament with a lot of anti-stratting. Do you think moving forward that they are going to have to continue bringing that level of preparation in terms of anti-stratting? Or do you guys think that OG has maybe turned a page and will begin just making finals regularly now? Is this, is this a one-off that they made this finals or will it, will it continue to happen? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily like a one-off. I mean, obviously in this online era, especially, it's always going to be hard to replicate the same form. And over the course of what we've seen from OG the past like six months, I probably wouldn't put my money on it that they're going to be like consistently making finals now. And I have to imagine that they always kind of have like a similar level of anti-stratting just because I don't think teams normally change that much in terms of their preparation. I also think, I don't know if Ruga is like helping them still or not. Um, so I don't know how much that is, that that's changed for them, but I think the anti-strategy is probably just kind of like a normal part of how they play, and I assume it's just something that Alexi B is comfortable with always doing, and um, I imagine he's probably not comfortable calling if he doesn't know what the other team's doing, he doesn't have a plan for what the other team is going to be coming at him with, so I imagine the anti-strategy is just kind of like a general part of OG's playstyle, but I don't know if that'll carry over into other tournaments and consistently making finals. It's a, a bit of conjecture, of course, but uh, he doesn't strike me as a type to be like a blame F to really like lean super hard into anti-stratting. And I think it, he has just like a very, ba- I feel like a very balanced philosophy on like how to play, you know, try to be loose enough to activate your stars, but not too strict and not too strict that they're, you know, throwing nades when they're uncomfortable, but then also make sure you're also executing some of the time. Um, and it's just a, a jambalaya really of kind of different like approaches all in the same game, yeah. Um, so I I don't I don't that doesn't strike. I did see it. So in that Mirage game, I also saw like a what I call a demo kill now, where it seems like there was they did fast uh, get right and get left smokes on B Mirage, and then when they they ran out, Alexi B actually threw a nade from B window off of the pillar itself, so that it landed within the site, and then Cold Zero walked in through the smoke, and he just sprayed the smoke down. And killed Cold Zera pushing the smoke, so it felt like he called out Cold Zera for pushing the uh, get right and get left smokes um, into the site. And I was like, he didn't, he didn't hear him, he didn't see him. He must have certainly like saw Cold Zera makes that play a lot. So I, I'm assuming some tactics are designed around getting those opening kills because that seriously is such a in a, an important stat, of course, like just getting the opening frag on a site. Um, but it doesn't to me feel like he's going to base entire game plans around it. And I f- no one's got the work ethic of blame F. I feel like it's so unreasonable to just yeah. anti-strat yeah. all day Plus, long. Like the thing with that is also like in terms of like finding a strat like that to anti-strat like blame F did is like it's also only something that comes around when like the opportunity the opportunity like presents itself to you. Like not every team on every map is gonna have something like that that you can do on every map. There are like certain situations. So I assume like like Flexibi does is you just kind of go through. You kind of see what a team is doing. You kind of see what they're giving you, what you can find to exploit you kind of find out how you want to approach it. And then from there, if there's like certain strats that you think you can hard anti-strat or like certain things that you think you can like really hard counter, then you might go for that. But I don't think it's necessarily something that they'll they'll go into like the match before they prep being like, yeah, this is how we're going to want to play and how we're going to want to do things. Yeah, I think, I don't remember if it was during last, like the LAN at the start of the year or which event it was, but I remember there was um, some event where OG's a part of their comms were released and it was Alexi B basically talking about how they had anti-strated a team heading into a match and they realized maybe two or three rounds in and he said it that 
uh, hey guys, we don't really know what they're doing. They're not doing what we expected them to do. So forget everything that we we basically anti-strated them on and just play our own game. And like that's a really early adaption to make, like two three rounds into a match. But it shows that like they have a set idea going into matches. But if it's not if they're not seeing what they expect, they're very quick to change off of that as well. Um, as far as them making more finals is concerned, I mean it's a possibility. I don't think it's going to be a consistent thing for them as a team though. Uh, just because if you take a look at New York, like Astralis was not there, Mouse Sports were not there, two teams that are looking like a little more hot recently. Um, also, FaZe had this like fluke, maybe not fluke run, but this sort of like run out of nowhere after having not great the death run. We'll yeah, death exactly, run. the death run. Um, so I, I don't know if I see them making finals consistently, but uh, I do think they do very a very good job adapting if they don't see what they expect in a server. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just pose it like this to simplify the question. So at DreamHack, up, the upcoming DreamHack Europe, there are 16 teams in attendance. OG is there. Everybody down the line, I usually say predictions to the end, but let's just go down the line. Where do we think OG is going to be ending up here? And you can go down to the precise placing because RMR events play down to like fifth place, seventh place. Like they make Okay, decisions. well their group is Vitality, Fnatic, OG, and Mouse, so that can range anywhere from like first to last. Yeah. I feel exactly. like so <laughs> it's rough. It's super rough. So my prediction is I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know who is anything group, I said uh, anything I, feel I like said everyone is just gets second place in this group. Yeah, exactly. None yeah. of them are good enough to get first, but someone has to. <laughs> Maybe maybe Vitality probably the the team that has like uh, blown like not has been the most consistent of the four in the past year or whatever. Here's and my then, prediction then. So yeah. I'm gonna say Vitality is gonna be second, and then like yeah. one of these other teams will be first, and then the other <laughs> two will go out. <laughs> that's how that's how I imagine it'll go down. I really, think, uh, really bold with that one. <laughs> I think OG end up uh, in the ninth to twelfth area. Okay. I, I don't think they make it out of groups here. Right, fuck wow. it, I'll just go for them again because I did last time, so I'll say first in this group. <laughs> I'll take, and I'll take Vitality as well. Yep. Wow. I think I'll, I'll go with that. I, I don't feel like Vitality will get first. <sighs> I'm just going to shill for OG again. I'm going to go with Fnatic. I'll go with Fnatic out of this one, number one. But I believe in Fnatic a lot always, and sometimes it comes back to bite me. But what I like all don't these teams, themselves. so I'm kind of sad that two of them have to go out. Yeah, did these you? are great teams. <laughs> Did you All watch right. the? Uh, did you watch Fnatic? Or you did. You watched Fnatic uh, OG. I remember you actually tweeted uh, at me about it. Remember how like Fnatic were like completely despondent in the second map, and I was like, "What? Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah." The, they no, the, the, the third map. The third map. The third map. <laughs> the third is. map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a uh, Mirage, right? They yeah. just looked like they were super sloppy. Um, yeah. Why don't we get into uh, Fnatic just briefly here? And, uh, so they came in top four at this tournament, and they lost to OG. Uh, the teams that they beat were in the group stage. They beat out G2, and then they beat a complexity with NATO Sapphix. But then they lost to OG in three maps, and they lost their map pick of Train. They won OG's map pick of Inferno, and that was pretty convincing, actually. But then they fell pretty flat on Mirage for those that caught it. Uh, I guess Launders. What what did you see from them, or like how did that how did that feel to you? What was the what do you think the emotions were like on that team in map three? There was probably not a lot of talk. I feel like they could have performed just as well without Discord in that match. 
They, yeah. they look like they were all playing on about 200 or 300 ping. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it just didn't feel like they cared very much. Like I could just, I feel like I could just like, I could see inside Flesh's head and there was just nothing. It was just black. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it didn't see, it didn't feel like they were in it at all. And I know that was by their own choice as well. Like they weren't like actively trying to get out of this emo ness. Instead, they were just living in it, just existing, knowing that it was gonna it was gonna end badly. But this is it. Felt like they were very fatalistic on Mirage <laughs> and knew they were gonna lose and just accepted it. So, so you think Golden busted out some nihilism in in a map three? There, just like whatever happens, just it he actually the seems end, like an matter. eternal optimist, though, right? Like that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What's what was Golden thinking? Was he just like, oh man, well this is just too much to control. I'm gonna be happy <laughs> by myself, but I can't win this game for my team. He started just adopting Taoist principles in this match. Yeah. <laughs> just let it all come to him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. I mean, anybody else? Anybody else got any thoughts about what we saw from Fnatic this tournament? Um. No, I I feel like it's just kind of more what I've been seeing. Just kind of like just averageness. It feels like up and down. I really like how they play, but it's hard, especially online. It feels like to be super consistent with it when you're just kind of like defaulting every round and then just kind of playing it out your mid rounds and going from there. So decent result, I think, but just kind of like another result from them. Same old. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's move on to the champions then. FaZe Clan, FaZe up in the chat. Uh, they, with a 3-0 victory, actually did not drop any maps this entire tournament except for the 2-0 loss to OG in the winner's match of their own group. So this was a really sick run from FaZe Clan. And not, that being said, some of the games were a little bit close, especially map one of the grand finals going to uh, two overtimes. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> other than that, though, they kind of dismantled teams in a few of their games like the inferno game against og was a complete stomp so what did we like out of phase this time this is like the prime example of like what phase of kirby could be if i don't even know what's gonna happen after this tournament but because like kirby just feels like all the other spots like you know like the b lurker like the b anchor and all these maps and so when he's playing well like he did at this event like a 1.12 rating and you have like your so you have like that guy that's like popping off and playing well, he's playing comfortably. That gives you like such like a different dynamic to your whole team and like it just opens up so many different doors and like opportunities when that guy's playing well, because Kirby like on the edge of the map, like be sight lurking while his teammates are in mid on Mirage and he's just constantly having impact or having to, you know, hold B by himself on Mirage and just constantly getting like a three K. Like having that option, having that guy playing well consistently, like having impact is just can completely change a team. Like it it can completely change like how you're able to play and what you can do and like what your options are and what's going to work for you. He seemed to take a bit more agency um, recently with just his positions and like some of the risks he takes. And also just, I mean, he powered up with the AUG as well. I mean, he really is just going to be like, I, 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 I can't, I can't stand the thought of thinking that we're going to go through another Krieg uh, <laughs> level situation where everybody on Twitter, I'm going to have to mute. I actually, I'm going to have to mute the word. Like I know it's coming, but you know the og the og wasn't really um, the og wasn't really nerfed. It's super strong on CT side. It's you know can kill just a bit faster, and that's all the edge you need. And we saw Kirby really just cleaned up so many rounds with the og. He's using it on train. He's using it on Mirage B side train IV, um, and just owning. And coming into the event, they won their last two series. Kirby started to get a bit better, and then through the event, he really kind of came into his own, and um, it felt like he was just less scared, I guess, to play on phase. Yeah, like I think that's a big difference. 
because I was watching like watching back from like EPL to New York, and I didn't see like a huge difference in how they were playing like macro wise. I feel like they were kind of taking the same approach, kind of like the same ideas, and it just felt like because obviously, I mean, it was still like a fairly new lineup too. Um, that said, like KRB was fairly new, so him, you know, struggling the first two events and playing well now isn't like the craziest thing. And, you know, starting to feel comfortable in the team, especially with all the names in the team, the fact that it's very hard to comfortably fit in around because he has to play like set very set spots. So I think just him getting more comfortable in that role and just really kind of like finding himself in that really just adds a lot to FaZe. Yeah, Kirby, it almost feels like when Config joined Complexity, where it was like a bit shaky at first for him, but he eventually found his form. Like Kirby, I find really similar to, to the point where he dropped off for a while and he's sort of finding his redemption arc on FaZe right now, uh, at least in this specific tournament. Um, Obviously, like Mirage for them was was shaky given their behold in, in regulation. It was getting abused a lot, but like I think once Kirby sort of if if he continues being as comfortable in the team as he looked as in this tournament, then it'll definitely do well for him. But given given some of the rumors with Nico being rumored to be out of this team, then that may not really last. Do you have a source? Cold Zero's mom? That's weird. Cold Zero's mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Provided by infamous um, professional player Instagram mom stalker Ryan at Rushby Media. I was, <laughs> I was following Cold Zero's second cousin on uh, Twitter and he said in a tweet the words he stay. So I don't know how you guys interpret that one, but for me, I think, I think everyone on G2 is going to stay where they are. So but sources, just just sources, you know. But okay, I I like that you brought up that phase is shaky on Mirage Note because I uh, I have a lot to say about their their Mirage. Like it is kind of shaky and it's weird because it was their map pick for pretty much this entire tournament. I think the only time they didn't pick it was against OG where they picked D two, and I think it was kind of to me. It feels like Phase has kind of been going through what do they think is their home map right now, and that was kind of apparent at ESL. Uh, ESL Pro League, where they picked, I think, Train, they picked Dust2, I think they picked Inferno one time, Then they and they also picked Mirage, but at this tournament, it was pretty much Mirage, except for that single series, and they actually went undefeated at Mirage at this tournament, and even though by the eye test, it's a shaky Mirage, like you said, that CTB hold between Kirby and Cold, like, there's a lot of kinks that you have to iron out there, but it's, a, uh, it's, it's, Kind of cool that FaZe have found their home map, and of all the maps, it really just feels like that should be the FaZe map, right? Surely, Mirage of all maps uh, should be the one that's, that they're succeeding on. It's just like a map that really can favor individuals popping off on any given okay. round. And when something goes wrong, you can just always rely on a player to just find a multi-frag, even on, on entries. Yeah, they should just be like dominating on that map, considering they have like Rain playing A-Site, Nico and Khan, Brokey's like their opera, Cold Zera infamously the fucking GOAT cat player. And then yeah. on B like that that setup like if they can get more comfortable and continue to you know really dial that down should just be absolutely like insane, but it's it's still something that they aren't fully there yet with yet. Uh, I have a question about their mirage. Their CD sides they play like um they like don't bust open the grates and then they'll play extremely passive. Like they sometimes veto having a jungle player at all. They'll play like two A site one CT spawn or one market two B two A site or something and like leave window completely open sometimes they leave ladder room completely open and i i've always viewed that as something an option that you can have 
but not one that you really want to like base your whole CT side around because you give up that much control. You should be losing a lot of the time. Now you might yeah. not lose a guy in the first 40 seconds, which is maybe why you want to do that. But ultimately like you give someone like ladder window control, like your sites become so it's, much weaker. Why do they, something why do, that, they do that? that? Something that's kind of more, more meta just when yeah. the bench was added to Mirage because it's really hard to like consistently control that area throughout the whole map. And like, so to get in the window, you obviously have to like shoot the CT grate. And like, so if you shoot that out now, you're not going to have like any info mid round if someone, you know, gets in the window or jungle and like sneaks through and is in CT. So some teams now, especially just because it's so hard to fight mid on CT side, unless you're like fully committing to it as well. Because like, you're just going to get smoked out window, like smoked out con cat. Like it's so hard to have like an impact that they'll just completely leave it open and then just play sites. So that way, if someone does even get into like window room or something, their only options really are one, they have to like break the vent so everyone will hear that they're like trying to get into CT, which can still be like a really big distraction that's still like really useful, by the way, if you're a T, just to get in there and like break the room and just distract the entire other team. Like that's actually so powerful. Yeah. But just for this, for the CT's perspective, it's just maybe like they're not having any success in mid, so they just want to play sites and just keep hold of like the info yeah. that they know they'll be able to keep. Yeah, I think it's uh, kind of idealistic to to play mirage the way that the map kind of offers it that you would play a guy in connector cat window break the vent like as a ct you try to have the most agency in the round and similarly then the t's though have a lot of options too but i think the phase approach that you mentioned launders is really pragmatic and i don't know who came up with that idea but it is kind of becoming more meta i, th I think in general to do that like Mick said, that to not break it, to play kind of the the three, just straight up a three two or like a two three kind of thing. <clears throat> and I think for Phase, that's something that does play into their wheelhouse pretty well. That you're simplifying the decision making tree for a lot of these players right now, and especially on a newer team, just having less options as a CT is almost a benefit for them because, in all honesty, with the firepower that they have, you don't necessarily want to have to force, uh, you know, like. You don't want to have to force Cole to be like, do I need to help Kirby? Uh, do I need to fight for mid control to try to support Brokey? Do I need to... Uh, like, he, it's it's almost better for them to just give themselves binary options as opposed to trying to give... Like, maybe in the future when they develop their Mirage, it'd be, it would benefit them to break open the window to try to play that a lot more. But I think that the simplistic approach to not break it and play just standard 3B, 2A is... Uh, it's something that just, in essence, just makes their lives a lot easier. Yeah, and I okay. think it's something they'll try to abuse. I think if like the T's, like they're pretty confident, like they're just gonna try to abuse a mid round because you can get like pretty good setups mid round if you have three on a to like stop like a split. More so than like if you're like trying to daddy towards mid, it's really B that's gonna struggle a lot because if they actually do go there, it's like even that if was kind of why like, I brought it up. Yeah, it was like the, the no ladder room or anything like that. Like it's like a big problem. But even before, I've seen Phase like with when they still had Biomass on the team, they had a round like first gun round where they played four on A and then just Biomass alone on B. And so I think their their sentiment there is just if they go B and like the round, if it's like a close, if it's not like a close hit, if gear being cold zero don't clean it up, they'll probably just end up saving because it's kind of like the meta on CT side right now. So I imagine that's probably what they're that's playing. Nice towards. anecdote. That's a nice anecdote for. BMS's experience on phase. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> we saw how come that in as a development out. player Dude. with absolutely no advice. Yeah, they, he doesn't even. He's not even like a B apps player, but they just left him there alone. Like, if they come here, you got this, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's just Nico turning the the cold shoulder towards him, just like BMS. We've given up on you. This, this is all you over there. It's and then just three or four days, man. What do you want from us? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure. I'm sure they was just a gamble. Like they knew if like they went B, they were probably gonna lose the round. But it's still funny for BMS. He's just put there <laughs> yeah i know but this is like to nico he's like nico every time we played fpl together you were helping me what happened <laughs> it's just like <laughs> i think the other thing is also it plays into sort of what the like your competition as well like some teams might not abuse that window uh jungle area as much as others so for example a team like the old sk where they used to boost fur into into window all of the time yeah like that's a that's a team where you would really benefit from not popping that vent because you'll you'll neutralize half of Fur's aggressive plays on that map basically. Yeah, like but, if I'm uh, like Fury on Mirage, like I might just avoid it because I know Art's just gonna be in the window at like 145 anyway, so <laughs> he'll find a way to kill you. Yeah. I did hear from um Alish talking about playing jungle and how it's just the most it's just like his least favorite sp space to be because someone could op you from palace or so hard, window or like yeah no one really helps you from that spot like you just that have to spot get is kills so and, difficult like yeah there's still like much kill potential around it and that's why you see like so many stars playing it but that spot is literally so hard to play and actually because if you're not yeah. playing that spot well you're just getting abused and you're just dying probably connector in the first 45 seconds is one of the best spots to be as a ct but after that jesus man the decisions i've you see players have to try to make as they're struggling from that position are just so rough like do you tuck yourself in jungle do you want to make a play with the a player towards uh towards ramp or palace maybe or do you want to have to like do a late swing mid or something like that and all of those feel like such risky options none of them are actually good i'll say that so it feels so like whatever rough. option you choose you're just gonna peek and get off yeah, yeah. So the, only, the only issue is that like even if you don't want to do something like you have to think about the perspective of conditioning like if you if you yeah. let's say you they knew you, you were in an ultra passive setup like most of the time then they can hold maids not take mid get someone window for free in 40 seconds walk under passive one person jump in window leave them there and then hit a site and just hopefully that guy can have impact later on like there's a number of issues i think when you um it's kind of like you just like a team knows that you're just not going to like if you don't play mids at all 70 percent of the rounds that's a free spot to be in i think the map should become t-sided in a like in in a vacuum of course but um we'll see if that becomes a problem it is it is phase like most played map and they're they are really playing it a lot recently too it does sort of play into the way they play it as well like with cold and ladder a lot you can cover off that jungle position as well so it sort of gives them the advantage of being able to rotate one of the, like rotate their window player to help b or rotate to ticket and play two inside of a site as well so it does give them a bit of options but it's definitely something that can be abused if teams if teams see them continuing to do it regardless of who they're playing against all right, moving on. All right, so this is a hypothetical. If you guys could build a starting five from the only from only the four teams in the European IEM NY EU playoffs, rolls off the tongue. Who would you guys pick? Let's uh let's start with uh Launders. Who would you who would you pick? Uh from the IEM EU New York playoffs. So basically like anyone oh. from Vitality, anyone from FaZe, OG Fnatic. What would your be what would be your five man lineup? Okay, I would clone Flusha. No, uh, I would pick. <laughs> I would probably go with the starting five. All right, Zaiwu would yeah, be 
Zai would be my opper. Nico would be my caller. I'll take Nico as my caller. I would have Alexi be on as a lurk, and, or maybe he would call, and he'd be a yeah. uh, aggressive lurk, um, open up rounds on CT side. So we got a, kind of an outside-the-map player. I'd put Crims on there, super solid, uh, you know, the Yuri of Europe. So I like to call him. <laughs> um, <laughs> super solid anchor. The Swedish and then, Yuri. That's a nice ring to it, honestly. <laughs> and then um, what are we missing? Uh, what are we missing here? One more extra player. Just need like a hard hitting, maybe entry player. Or uh, like... I would, and then I'll put in Cold Zero when he knows his team's dying. Specifically, ah. that one though. <laughs> That's the knows. one I want. Yes. All right. Listen, I'm gonna go without Zywu. I'm gonna try something different. No way. Because like, because oh. like, everyone's gonna go Zywu. It's like the obvious one. Yes. Right? Yeah. Everyone likes so, to win. So, it's a little weird. But... Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I don't understand it, but whatever. So Alexi B. Rain and Mountu are gonna be like my my entry squad, my my my, my pack on T side. I'm gonna have Brolin as well, for like one of my lurkers slash anchors. And then I need another one to complete it. I think you're gonna get top four in the group with this lineup. <laughs> <laughs> How is that bad? I got Alexi B and Rain. Like it's it's gonna be sick, dude. Mountu, that guy when he's on a rifle is sick too. So now I gotta. I mean, it's not like Sai was a bad rifler. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm just trying something different here. And then Brolin. All right. And then I think my fifth, probably go with Flusha. I feel like that would make a lot of sense. Clone okay. out the uh, aggressive rifling squad with the big brain. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, so wait, wait, wait. What was your, can you say your, your five all together? Okay. Okay. So yeah, my five all together is yes. Alexi B, Rain, okay. Montu. Brolin and Flusha. God, I hope just, this is a serious podcast. I don't the, know. Dude, the Montu thing what? is just like, okay, you edge lord. Like, come on, now are you not picking Zywu here? Montu over Zywu. Everyone's going to pick Zywu. I want to pick someone different. Dude, this hipster ass dude. Like, okay, all right. Just got to pick I want, I want. Else. I want another opera to be picked here, okay? I want, sure. I want someone else to be represented. All right, all right. Listen, there's right. a reason Henry G is the general manager of Cloud9 and Don Jocks. <laughs> uh, so, obviously... Try to get Guardian, he shut me down. <laughs> Yo, he's looking good in FPL, bro. He's looking... Before it is bio, I'd have to dig the toss. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, I had Ziwu in my team. Um, and then as sort of my entry slash second man, and I had Golden and Nico. Um, and I think Golden is actually a pretty underrated uh, entry for for some maps. Seen mm-hmm. him really really go off on Nuke specifically, some key rounds stick out. But uh, then I had a uh, RPK to pick up all of the bitch spots that nobody else wants to play because uh, RPK seems to be talked up a lot. Obviously, we're ignoring any possible language issues in this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how good RPK's English is. I assume great. I've never talked. I feel like he doesn't that. talk much at all. So. I, <laughs> I I talked to him very briefly at Epicenter last year, where I just said R- he was getting on the same plane as me. So I was like, "RPK, you're a beast," and he said, "Ha ha, thank you, man." So that's that's uh, he speaks English perfectly. English, oh, perfectly, oh, right? Yeah, um, big fan, Mouse Snake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rounding out my team, I had a had a bit of a choice uh, between Shocks and Crims. Um, ended up going with Crims only because Shocks is. Uh, up and down, and Crims has been playing pretty well consistently over the last while, mm-hmm. so 
Tate Crims is my little clutch clutch god, last man. Cool, cool, cool. Well-rounded teams got team guys. But you guys need to have a vision when you guys put put these rosters I, oh, together. I don't have a vision apparently. Yep. <laughs> Not with Monty over Zywer. There is no vision there. I There's guarantee no... my team put a best His team would be affordable. Okay, <laughs> affordable absolutely win. He's thinking Moneyball. Yeah, how do we stretch <laughs> our dollars here? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I've got a team, and we play at one speed only. It's a uh, foot pedal to the metal. Uh, so we got golden. We've got, um, I'm sorry. Okay, we've got Golden, we've got JW, we've got Rain, we've got Nico, and we've got Zywoo. So basically, Nico gets to kind of be like the third man in and bait a little bit, as Golden and, and Rain just kind of run into bomb sites. Uh, Zywoo gets to do literally whatever he feels like every given round, but JW, second opper on T side, double op T side. JW just flying in with the op. Sometimes you can bait him, sometimes he'll find entries. At the same time, he's fearless, and that's what I need. I need a team of just like four fearless players, or really three fearless players, and then Zywoo to clean up, clean everything up. Because I mean, honestly, you put him in any kind of situation, if you make space for him, he can win it. So that's how I that's how I see every round playing out where the strats don't even matter. Uh, everyone's aggressive, and Zywoo just gets to have a playground after the battle. And my team wins. Battle. Your team I wins? Think yeah. Okay, let's. Okay, we're we're all in agreement here that that mix has the worst roster. Right? Like, like <laughs> team would win. It's a given, right? Yes. It's online CS. It's online CS. My team is gonna have the greatest T side. All right, it has a clear vision for its T side. We're gonna go at least. We're gonna at least like eleven rounds on every T side, because we're gonna that's, have the sickest riflers, the sickest plays, and then our CT take. sides. We're gonna get in your face the entire game, and you're just not gonna have a chance. You pick Crims though, right? No, I pick Flusha. Oh, Flusha. Oh, okay, all right. Flusha's my clutch Roland. master, so like after everyone else like gets all the kills, Flusha comes in for like the one v one. Roland doesn't always just run in. I rarely see him just sprint into situations. He's my other lurker. He's my other oh. lurker. It's fun. Oh, the triple lurk. All right, gotcha. Okay. No, I got my triple. I got my pack. I got my pack, and okay. then I got my lurkers, dude. Come on. You got you got the booth pack. My team is built the perfectly. <laughs> All right, all right. Let's let's hop across the pond to IEM North America briefly here. I'm just glad uh, no one has faith in mixed team. That's all. It's Even mixed. It's mixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Gosh, I don't believe in statistics, mix. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let's uh, let's move over to NA here. Um, this is this tournament is still, of course, in progress, but. Uh, we're halfway through the group stage. Actually, we're a little bit over halfway through this group stage. Does anything jump out to you guys with the results here? Uh, the only thing that surprised me a bit was that New England Whalers have played pretty well with Booby as a stand-in um, for Buells. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, I would say the results have been more or less as expected. Like, Furia uh, playing pretty well. Yeah, playing pretty well. Mostly, I've just still been kind of disappointed in how Liquid's playing overall. With, like mm -hmm. the loss to 100D and like the kind of close game against Chaos playing with a stand, it just feels like they're still not really there. They're still not really like, playing as well as they could be. Their roster still isn't fully like meshing at the moment. There's still like things they're trying to figure out. So that's the biggest takeaway for me so far is that Liquid is still trying to figure things out. It puts a, it puts a horrible taste in my mouth to see Liquid playing like this because they because like you know Triumph died for this and. Like jokes aside, you know, like that was actually really solid, promising up and coming roster. 
who ultimately would will event would eventually have their best player get poached. That's just how it goes, unfortunately. But the fact that they mm -hmm. he goes on to liquid and liquid are at like a similar or worse level um, with such a huge firepower upgrade just kind of blows my mind. Uh, it's like a real real big shame, and it's not even like Grim is like a different player from when he was before. His stats they've been a bit up and down, but he's been pretty. He's proven that he can play well in in big matches. So. It's a huge question mark for me as to like what is now the win condition for Liquid or like what is actually missing from them. I've, I've boiled it down to like it has to be some sort of IGL problem. Like I, I don't know what you guys think, but I personally don't think it it can do with you know Stewie having a 0.7 every game it, as much as how can that matter that much when you have four players as good as uh, Elise, Nafly, uh, Twist, and Grim? Like just I just don't see that as a a proper um, alibi. And so I, I, I wonder if it is the calling, and if it is the calling, what's the solution? And yeah, because that's a very expensive team that's fair, have varying middling performances. Yeah, to me, it just seems like Liquid are lacking like a big idea in a number of rounds that they have. Like some rounds, you can tell they have like a very clear idea of what they want to do or how they want to end it. Or even mid round, they'll they'll have a solution. But at times, it just seems like they're very lost as to how they want to adapt into a mid round. Um, in terms of, like, the Nitro roster would often sort of click into those ideas a little bit faster, uh, especially on land, which is obviously a different environment. But you could see that they would have a very decisive plan of action at times, and they would execute on that. And that's sort of what was what was helping them plow through some of their, their issues, and as well as, like, why they were always fragging out uh, in terms of their Grand Slam run. But... Right now, it seems like they're not decisive enough, and I agree with Launders. I think it comes down to, to an in-game leader issue in that sense where there isn't someone to, to sort of give them an overarching plot into a round, even if they're not really aware of what they're working towards. Um, I, I honestly think with Liquid, we're, we're approaching the time where we start asking how many more tournaments do we give them until they, we, we put them in like a category of having too many issues for a team of their caliber. I think we're already there almost. Yeah, the maybe they'll get it together a little bit in playoffs, but I have to admit, um, just copy a couple of those sentiments that it does seem like, I think I said, maybe on the Flashpoint Q&A, the thing with Liquid is just like, it doesn't always, you don't always love the point of contact at the beginning of rounds for this team, because especially given the fact that they don't have an opera uh, who's like, really solid like i think like stewie and naf are doing serviceable jobs at times like i actually thought stewie was looked really good back at uh kind of the summer dream hack but lately he hasn't looked as good and it's kind of just <clears throat> I, i'm not sure if it's I, i'd like to know kind of the uh how it's working for that team just how do they decide on any given round is naf gonna op or is stewie gonna op because sometimes I, I feel like it's almost like they just are playing off a of feeling as opposed to playing off of some kind of a uh, rhyme or reason. At least that's how it strikes me when I watch these matches. So I'd love to know what they think about that. And like Elige, I've noticed is very frequently um, at the top of the percentages for entry attempt rates. So and like Elige as a player, I don't necessarily always want to be taking first contact for this team when he has to battle up against the opposing team's opera a lot of the time. I don't want to see him have to go headfirst into that, unless, like, 
unless liquid just becomes super structured all of a sudden and just flashes every opera off of every like common angle but a couple times he will get caught by you know just an aggressive op stance and that's not what you want from a player who's who pretty much i think i don't know about you guys but i think he's na's best player i don't want him to have to just man fight into rounds sometimes i want i want there to be a little bit more structure around him to start things off or at least just uh it to not be in the context of a default, perhaps. Just like if it were a set play and he's entry, okay, sure, that's that that's just because the play is good or they do they trust the exec. But if it's in a default, I would rather somebody else take contact. And someone who has been kind of slipping for me has been Twist. Actually, his form this year has been a little bit uninspired um, from my perspective. Where I look at his recent years, and in 2019 when he was. Uh, top 10 player in the world. He had a 1.14 rating in 2018 at a 1.15. 2017, in fact, he had a 1.19. So actually, he's getting worse every year, but you have to assume that it's uh, the level of competition that he's playing yeah. against. But it, this year, it's a 1.08, and it's it's really like the worst uh, level in terms of stats that he's had against top five or top 10 opponents, where it's just like a, a 1.02 versus top five opponents, a 1.05 First top 10 opponents whereas last year he looked really good against good teams like he, he didn't fall off yeah it feels I, like they're oh sorry go ahead go. go ahead okay i was gonna say it feels like just with combined with like the fact that Stu isn't like this kind of like he's still new to calling in terms of like calling for a team like this and you know taking over as the igl and you know not having like a set opera at the moment and you know the roles all just kind of being fucky in times just because you have like five sick riflers and like it can make everything kind of confusing it, it seems like in terms of the team at the moment so like in terms of their spots and their roles it just seems like they don't have any sense of comfortability yet they're just they can't seem to get into a groove because it's it's hard to get into a groove when you there's so many things that aren't set and so many things that aren't you know so many things that you aren't used to like who's opping who's calling you know grim is like a, a fairly new player coming in and playing with all these people so it just seems like considering like all these factors it's gonna be so hard to like find a groove for yourself i think yeah i, I feel like grim could probably use some a lot of direction i don't know who on the team is, is going to help him with that but a little bit of leadership from that perspective it feels like grim seems like a nice guy and and, and mal you, you you know him i don't know how perceptive he is to kind of help from the outside and whatever but it may be you know at this level getting introduced to a lot of like higher level competition um it would be good for someone to kind of take charge and, and instruct them on how to how to play the game i guess at you know in this system and what to expect or whatever but i also feel like that with with twist like you're saying like twist feels like a dog to me like he like a dog fighting dog like he needs dmx to send him out into <laughs> a dog fight but he needs the guy to send him out into the dog fight otherwise it doesn't feel like he's yeah. gonna have spirited performances and i know he did have a lot of respect for nitro and and i really like playing with him so you know don't know if some of the motivation is slipping for him um but that could be an issue as well and at the moment there's never really going to be many opportunities for someone to send them in like that when you have like elysian grim and Stu, like most likely one of them is just going to be doing it so twist isn't really even being asked to do it he's really had to take like more of a step back especially in this team with like the riflers i think i think it contributes to that as well he's he is the guy that's like playing a lot of the some of the bitch spots especially on like the t sides you know he's playing like a lot of the lurk spots and also Actually, yeah it comes it comes with that playing like those lurk and anchor spots especially when you have teammates around you like Elise, grim Stu, guys that are like trying to make plays and are going to make plays it doesn't leave as much room for you as like you might have playing the spots in other teams yeah i i, I do want to get your thoughts maui on on 
on Grimm, but I also would like to point out, like, I know for a fact that Twist is not assertive when it comes to, like, I want this position. And he is good enough to, you know, pick some spots, obviously. Yeah. Like, at times, he is, like, you know, during the Grand Slam run, he can be the best player on the team in a lot of their important matches. But I know he's not assertive enough. And I know, like, someone like Nitro would just give him a spot or something like that. But the weird thing is that when we were listening to, like, at Blast, we had uh, player comms, so we could, like, switch between either team for the entire matches. There was never a point at which Nitro was actually calling, even at the beginning of this year. And that made me wonder, like, how much was Nitro even calling during the Grand Slam run? Like, how much has actually changed from an IGL perspective? Like, it was mostly Stewie and Elise doing a lot of the talking. So that's something I don't have a lot of insight into, but something I wonder about. Yeah, to touch on Grimm's personality, he is definitely a more quiet type. He'll let the action come to him. And I talked to him actually when he was kind of starting out on Liquid, and he said that Stewie was doing a good job kind of holding his hand through some of the plays. Like, I know he plays Beyond Inferno with Stewie. So that so that spot is you're definitely gonna listen to what Stewie has to say there. But I'm not sure if that's like furthering his uh conception regarding like theory or anything like that, or it's just like, hey, they have banana, let's do this, or, okay, let's just set up like this, and I don't know if, if like, the the theory behind it is really getting through to him, and, like, that allow because once you understand the theory and the concepts, um, unless you have just god-tier feel all the time, and it's just, like, everything is intuitive to you, or you're just super, uh, just, like, really good at working on the fly, you're it's harder for you to always conceptualize like, why should I do this? When should I do this? And sometimes I notice that, I mean, I'm sure Grimm has developed since then, but a lot of times he'll just opt to like, I'll just play the spot. When things get a little hairy, I'm just going to play the spot that I'm most comfortable with. And if the action comes to me, I will multi-frag because I am an aim beast and like from his perspective, but like, I don't. In the moment, it's super easy to fall back into that. Like for any player. It's yeah. so hard to like consistently like have that vision of like conditioning and like what they're gonna expect and like maybe what's like the best spot. Like it's super easy to fall back into like okay, I'm just gonna play the spot that I'm comfortable with and I'm gonna shoot through people in the head if they come here. And that's I, likely. I almost kind of wish uh, that this liquid team, when they made the switch to pick up Grim, I almost wish that Adren were their coach for like three more weeks, show all the strats, show him all the defaults. And then bring in Moses to be the fire behind the team where everything's in set and in, in motion already because because I feel like Moses is kind of learning also right now with the team because he's been out of like when you're I mean, like he's been kind of out of the, the pro scene as a player for a while now. So kind of has to get caught up on the meta, get caught up on the strats. Like, let me learn what you guys are doing. And he said and he's been he's been uh, publicly saying that that's just like, well, like a lot of the tactics just kind of come from them as a, for, for right now, at least. And so if Adren were there and just be like, Grim, here's our strat book. Let's dry run in a server. Come with me in a server. We'll do this in our free time. Get comfortable with this. Everything like that. Here are the plays we like to run. When this happens, here's like here's the response to this. I think the the growing pains for this liquid team would have been really alleviated. Mm. Yeah, the dude's kind of combination. Something that was telling for me is that when I when I interviewed Grim for my for my feature about him, uh, the full quote didn't make it into the article. But I asked him about Stu in game leading, and this is about uh, about a month and a about two a month and two weeks into to him being on Liquid, and he said that Stewie's still fairly new to IGLing um, uh, and being the team captain. But I couldn't have asked for a better leader. He's made sure I can I can be the most comfortable I can be in the team being the new guy. 
and he helps me perform the best of my ability, which to me, it seems like Stewie is definitely helping him fit in. But the fact that Grimm is saying something like Stewie is still fairly, fairly new to IGLing is a little bit telling in the sense that I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but to me, it sounds like Grimm is basically saying that there's elements of IGLing that Stewie is just not incorporating into, into the liquid game plan whether that's because he's not used to adding it in or not used to thinking like that far into the game plan into matches. But Stewie to me is like a really intelligent player and I think he has the ability to develop into that. But yeah. it's just a matter of how long it'll take him to reach that point because now without Adren behind him and Moses there, to me it seems like Moses and Adren, or sorry, St- Moses and Stewie have very similar like hype beast sort of mentality behind the, behind the team. So I'm curious to see where that sort of tactical element and the sort of layers will get added onto for for Sui's IGL in that sense. Yeah, it's another element I didn't really think of is like the fact that also like a new coach in addition to like everything is like another variable that makes things not so set and like so it's like you have like so many different variables and you have like this roster that has like so many different ways to play with it in terms of like roles and stuff but uh, that can be like a blessing that can also be like a curse especially if like a new team because it's really hard to figure out and dial down what's what's good for you so everyone's like stewie's trying to like learn the igl and he's like also trying to main op at times you know moses was like coming into the team as a coach you know it's the first time he's coached you know like a big team like this so it's a lot to really nail down for liquid mm-hmm. yeah i like what maui said like i mean i think it makes sense that that it just like moses is obviously smart enough to to learn the game on a very specific meta level but you just unless you play you're just gonna not know stuff you, it's so hard to see from the outside when you're in the yeah. server and he watches them practice i'm sure he'll learn very quickly but yeah. it'll take some time for that and adren could have just simply been like here are specific tactics here's your role in those tactics and say it in a way that the players might not even be able to understand themselves because he's almost, he's looking at it from the outside i almost feel like adren also would know like better than anybody okay here's Grimm's strengths here were nitro's strengths who should we plug in to fill right. for where nitro was on this strat and wh- whose spot should Grimm take given his skill set like I, a lot of it could have been easier but um Let's move on from Liquid. We Just still got playoffs. I think Adren did help that help that a little bit because I remember when Grim first joined the team, Adren was talking on stream about uh, Grim plugging into Liquid, and he was mm-hmm. mentioning how Grim got most of his previous roles on Triumph, minus I think two of them that overlapped with the leash. Um, I think that was on T side, but he he did get he did basically okay. plug him into some of the similar roles that he was playing. So I think Adren did help with that transfer a little bit but it was for a very short period like maybe a week or two hmm. um, yeah hmm. all right well we still got playoffs to go for new york uh, we'll get into the predictions a little bit later for everything let's go to the news side of things jks 100 thieves they just beat liquid but it looks like jks will be departing them here rumored to go to complexity for uh, filling in for Oboe, of course, or most recently NATO Sapphix, I suppose. Um, do does this role swap feel right to you guys? Does this feel yes. like yeah, JKS yes. for Oboe, just one to one? Feels perfect, yeah. honestly. Like one JKS is also not someone that's like super vocal in terms of like I have to play here and I have to play here. He's also he's also someone that's generally like in terms of career seems to have been a little bit less laid back, and so 
kind of the roles and stuff that he likes to play in general are already like most of Oboe spots and stuff. And even besides that, like if JKS had to move spots, he was fine. He was fine to do it on on Hundred Thieves. So it just feels like a perfect, like a really fucking set replacement. Like JKS is so good at like conditioning and like doing his own little thing and like lurking and anchoring on other sides of the map. So it's going to be like a whole other tool for Blame F to use and like. It's. It, I can only see this like positively affecting Cole, which is nuts because Obo was putting up yeah because Obo was Cole, really but, good yeah yeah but he like I think uh, I've heard Blame F say Obo's nades were terrible and he had to learn like every nade set Obo had in case he'd forget during the match and like oh. JKS on the other hand has a lineup for every single AG he uses you know like he's super reliable I think on CT side to make sure like his nades all end in the right place doesn't seem like he ever needs an adult you know watching him. Um, and so, yeah, the, I think their CD sides don't move or improve. And uh, yeah, I, 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 somehow I think the team will actually also get better. Yeah, because also the, the nice thing is about having Rush as well is that like any spots that like maybe JKS doesn't want to play that Oboe had or like, you know, spots that he doesn't want to play that Oboe had, like Rush is just rush gonna, there. yeah, just rush, 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 rush probably won't care. Rush will probably just be like, yeah, sure, I'll play yeah, that. You just play, do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can do that. I'll, I'll play here. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think it would, you would probably be hard-pressed to find a better replacement for Obo uh, than JKS at the moment. In terms of like the free agents and the players who, who may be looking to change teams, I think JKS is probably the best fit that you could have found for Obo in terms of just his roles, but also just yeah. the talent that he has. Oh yeah, I think God. I think it'll be fine. But like, one thing to consider is that he has been playing with like the same core for like five years. JKS has so like. He is going into like a completely new environment that he hasn't had to experience yet. So that is something that could definitely throw him off at the start, or you know, yeah. there could be some other things that could play into it. So it's not like a hundred percent it's going to work out like better, but I do think it's very likely that it will. Yeah, he's going to have to start learning spot names that aren't just diggity. So that's going to be <laughs> a, a yeah. big growing pain for them. Uh, yeah, I I totally agree though. I think that this is a this is excellent. I feel like when you watch Obo versus JKS play, just if you get pull up their POVs and watch them side by side, a lot of the decision making is super similar. I think JKS sometimes can be like it's almost just like a better or more polished version of Obo. It, it's like he'll know the exact spot he needs to yeah. stand in, or and he has been like, around for like five more years, so that would make sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's not a dig at Obo or anything yeah. like that. It's just that JKS is super good, he's super polished. I mean, top twenty player uh, last year on HLTV. Like he's really just been the star for. <sighs> For that that hundred thieves and renegades lineup, like, like, how the hell did they get this pickup? Like, this is actually so crazy. Because I was thinking, like, man, looking at the free agents that are on the market here right now, like, I don't really know. I don't love too many players that are out there. Like, are hundred thieves just gonna have to pick up like Dexter? Like, that role doesn't really fit. Like, or or like, or I mean, or I mean, like, sorry, sorry. Like, are complexity gonna pick up someone like that? Or like. I didn't really know where they were going to go with it. And and then they just get JKS and it's just such a godsend. Like this is crazy. Like th this this just fell into their lap in some way that whatever they're doing there on the GM side of things for complexity is just like they're they're working magic. So I love this pick them. destroyed the Australian scene in one fell swoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like JKS build now. Out. Fine. Yeah. JKS bailed them out of a lot of situations at times. So well, I think right now the best Australian player is Jacob, right? 
Well, <laughs> I see what you did there. I see I what you did there. I should guess it's the best, but Dexter strikes fear into my heart just from oh, playing Renegades oh, in the past. I just, I just think about Dexter and Overpass Connector, and I just get scared. He's just a god down there. I think Why Dexter. I think of that like thirty kill train game that he had on like one half or something. It was ridiculous. I don't remember who it was against. I just remember it was a train game where Dexter absolutely demolished them. Yeah. On C9, we had nightmares about Overpass Connector for months just because of Dexter. <laughs> really? <laughs> we were just constantly worried about people playing there. Yeah, he's uh, he's really good, but it's... Ugh, okay. You know what? Let's... uh, Yeah, that just leads right into 100 Thieves, though. They're leaving CSGO. Uh, it's the second time the org has left. The first time, of course, being when they had that super brief roster with KNG and Henny and then moving into what legendary. I think was... <laughs> yeah, the legendary roster whose <laughs> stickers I bought like I bought like 20 of those stickers as soon as I found out that the team was pulling out and they all just like 5x in value immediately. It was a good use of good use of my funds and uh they didn't allow play me to a buy a lot of games. Right? No, I know, I know. No, yeah. I, I literally just like was able to buy like a bunch of video games because I just was able to sell those on the market right after. That was excellent. But um <laughs> Um, they've left again. Where will their pieces go? Azur, Jacob, Gratisfaction, Liaz. It looks like there's already been some interest in Jacob across a, quite quite a few teams, and I, I mean it's hard not to see why because he, there's really I mean he's just like a he can fit into a lot of teams very well. Like he's always kind of that second solid rifle for a team. He's not going to be your star player, but if you rely on him to be your second guy, you can actually be a top fifteen team in the world pretty genuinely. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Jakeus and Jakem were both both rumored to or at least they were they were organizations that were interested in picking up uh players, like either or both of them. So I'm not surprised to see JKS take taken off for uh as for the rest of them, I don't really know where they could end up at this point. Obviously Genji has has two open slots at the moment. Um, Azur, Genji. I can see Azur. Yeah, I can see Azur yeah. and maybe Jacob slotting into a team like that and sort of uh, helping to revitalize them. Uh, also, Cloud Nine are looking for a replacement for Floppy, uh, so someone like Liaz could could also be a good fit there. Uh, but that's yeah, a bit riskier, right? Like that's not that's like less of a lateral move at this point, which is a bit risky for them because they might not individually have a ton of stock. There is an argument though for Liaz that he never got to play to his full potential. Coming into the team, he was supposed to be doing a lot better, but then had to give up space yeah, he because maybe he didn't he conflicted with JKS well. a lot. Like, yeah, just, so there's a like chance. Natural, yes. so. I, honestly, he's one of the smartest players in the clutch. Like, I, I feel like I really like the way he plays 1v1s, and I can see so much potential there. I can see a potential where he's like automatic TSM to Cloud9, like suddenly finds his, his yeah. form on like a team with more space in it. But if I honestly, I hate to say this, but if I'm Gen G, I'm like, I grab Dexter and Oboe. Like, those would be my two to fill in because you get the caller with Dexter, but you got a better fragging IGL than even Azure. Azure. Like, Dexter is actually so much. I feel like the potential is ridiculous. Like, the team yeah, you grab yeah. him, they can actually just build around him, especially when they're correct connector on Mirage and then our correct connector on the overpass. overpass. Yeah. Um, and then Oboe is, is, has just learned so much and is just so damn yeah. good at the moment. And it works too because they still have Kusta, who's always like down to play whatever spot and just play whatever for the team. So, so that would definitely fill out the roster nicely. I really like Azer. Definitely, I think he's a bit underrated Super in terms good, of yeah. as an IGO. Like 
I've always been super impressed with how Underthieves slash Renegades is played. So I'd really like to see him go somewhere else as an IGL and try that again. And Grat, I, I still think Grat could be good somewhere. I'd like to see him play under like a different IGL probably and like a different type of system. I don't know what exactly, but I do think they're he's definitely a bit inconsistent, a bit up and down. But I think there probably is like a certain type of fit for him that would make a lot of sense in terms of I don't know what team exactly it would be. But like, I think I, you're not you're not just being nice, right? Like I, I under, like I, I see I think I see it the same way as you, where yeah. like he he is I clearly a really I genuinely good see like yeah. like he has a lot of impact at times. Like there are times where he's literally like the entire reason they're like winning games because and it's not like he's always like bad or anything, like He's just a bit up and down, but when he is on, like he has so much impact, and he is like constant, like really aggressive, and like he's a big playmaker. So there's definitely like opportunity there for gratisfaction. Gratisfaction. <sighs> All right, let's see. I like that. I, I mean, actually, I, I want to say I like I like Launder's uh, hypothetical there. The Dexter Obo pickup would make Genji. I think they would just like actually go up like five spots in the world rankings instantly. Actually, I think that's just literally a better team because you're getting you're upgrading the firepower from Daps to Dexter and Oboe is like I think there was a little bit of back and forth in that conversation when they were both kind of jumping onto the pro scene. Who's better? It seemed like Saw maybe has like a higher peak, but right now Oboe is the more solid piece. But Oboe just kind of incrementally got better and better and better. And he's very, he seems very easy to work with. Like maybe, like uh, you guys have said that maybe his nade lineups aren't perfect and he can, he needs a little bit more of that kind of nade database to, to run through his brain a little bit for a while. But um, I think it's, it was at the end of, of Som's Counter-Strike career, since he is now a Valorant player, I think it was actually pretty much indisputable that Oboe took the mantle for best up and coming like really young na star like grim i mean yeah. grim would be grim would be there but he's a little he's just a few years older early early 2019 it was like kind of like the three people that were coming up like all around the same time were like 10 psalm and oboe and we yes. kind of seen all that gone now that was, so that was it and they all had big stream personality or streams yeah. which is why i think everyone compared them to each other yeah even though they do not play the same at all but yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was the only one left and Oboe definitely, I I think, kind of speaking back to like that JKS thing, he definitely like has the potential to like reach a JKS level or even like higher. Yeah. In terms of Oboe, so you know whatever team is getting him is like gonna be so happy with whoever gets him. But yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, Mao's have made their statement on Raijin, uh that they are parting ways with him officially. They aren't going to. Uh, I kind of want the quote actually. Where is it? Pranogo, can you scroll scroll down just a little bit here? What I think they they gave a specific statement about how they didn't want to set a precedent or anything about how he's <sighs> okay. They 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 wanted to stand for competitive integrity and oh yeah, firm stand for competitive integrity that left them with no other option. And I really respect that from them. But we, I mean, like Ragen was the coach when Mao's went on that three tournament win streak at the end of 2019 and even came in second place at epicenter to close out the year so they were looking really hot and you can definitely assume that he was a big uh, really responsible for for why they were peaking like they had to make that shift where it's like they switched to, they basically were like coming down to their last legs in terms of what can we do with this five-man lineup and then they did that big shift where it was like instead of frozen being on the entry they move frozen to be kind of like that secondary like kind of like pressure lurk role so he has a little bit more Way freedom there. 
Yeah, yeah. He, he he totally ascended when that happened. It was actually like really impressive the way they just switched that around, and then instantly they became a championship contender. So it's a shame there. But what are your guys' opinions? Let's do, let's start first with like kind of the moral side of this, actually, which is something we don't always talk about. Just like how do we feel about Mao's statement? Like, do we like are you guys respecting this, or do you guys think they should just be all about winning and they should go maybe a more heroic route where they just keep him along as like an, a quote analyst? Uh, I think it's sort of a twofold scenario where i think morally they they made the right choice just based on the fact that Raijin did abuse the bug a number of times uh also his ban length is is severely long versus a lot of other coaches so it doesn't really make sense to keep him around uh also kerrigan was talking on the the hltv confirmed podcast about the specific uh this is before the organization actually uh dropped him but it was after they had suspended him. And he was basically talking about how the decision to, to part ways with him as a, from the organization standpoint was all on the organization. Like it wasn't something that the team was really, uh, it wasn't a decision the team was part of uh, because it was basically up to the organization as to how it would reflect on their sponsors. Um, and I feel like that's something that the other teams haven't really considered. Like you see Heroic now getting blowback from a lot of Danish fans for keeping Hunden on. And right now the conversation should sort of be about how uh, Astralis and Heroic are like the one and two best Danish teams and that sort of rivalry. But instead the Danish fans are talking about how Heroic had Hunden and they still kept him. And that's where the conversation is for them right now. Um, so to me, I think... Morally, it's definitely the right choice for Maus. I think I, I respect the fact that they they sort of stick to the actual competitive integrity side of it rather than decide to keep him on just based on the fact that it's, he's not allowed in game. One I quick mean, question for you: Where are you seeing what the what the Danish fans are saying? Are you on Dust2.dk? Just like clicking that translate button. How are you? Uh, so, so that's something that Kerrigan actually mentioned in the podcast. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, specifically, right. yeah. I would assume um, it would be on Dust2.dk and just general Danish media, but uh, that's that's something that he mentioned specifically about the Danish fans sort of talking about that. The more the closer you look at uh, Regin's like case, the more nefarious it looks. And unfortunately, like even when you see like you see that it was on tricked, but then Prosta, you know, him pl- using it against Prosta to the point that they got like eliminated in ba- like back to back weeks, and then they disbanded right after. Like all of those residual effects that come from, you know, his uh, him using the coaching bug makes it look way worse. But, you know, the same thing could be said for all of these coaches. I mean, honestly, all you have to do is go look at that, like, unlisted YouTube playlist of like all of the coaches using their cameras to see that it is as plain as day, like cheating and was wrong. And they they, you know, potentially changed the course of the players that they were playing against in their careers. And had impact on like the prize money they win, or like you know the arguments that happened that day because they lost all of these different things. It's hard to measure, but they definitely did cheat. And like I kind of take threat stance on it. Like in some of the other coaches, when they're like, you know, if they don't even agree that that you know, oops, it just fell into my lap and it just happened, and you know, one game whatever we used it um, is the, the, they would argue that 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 is a big deal and it's as a big a deal as soon as you use that camera and as soon as you you know, keep it for multiple rounds, then I kind of hold that position as well, where like morally, it's just, it's just hard to argue for them. They have to be punished at some level. And for the orgs themselves, like 
It's just, I think Kerrigan said, um, he said that he was going to take on all the responsibilities of Regin in that in-between period where they find a new uh, coach, which is very noble of him uh, because they want to make, they don't, they don't want a coach to be setting example for the team as somebody who has himself tainted competitive integrity uh, on the roster. So it's hard. To, I feel like it's really hard to argue against. Yeah, from my POV, I just, I'm glad they're like taking the stance of actually uh, parting ways with him after it because you know obviously a lot of the orgs that have just kind of kept on their coaches like analysts and stuff has you know even made me a bit paranoid about what Valve thinks about it in terms of that stuff so mm, right. I haven't really liked the precedent set by that so I definitely have a lot of respect for Malice and how they've handled it I didn't even think yeah. about that like from Josh's perspective like him at like working as an analyst to think that Valve might turn their back on all analyst or coaching positions because Teams have not dealt with it properly. I think that's really fair. Yeah, I, I, I think as this conversation moves forward regarding what happened, I think people are recognizing more and more so that this this is indeed like legit one hundred percent cheating. Like this is as if a player used a wall hack, and if a player used a wall hack, we're not going to be like, okay, he turned it on for one round. It's okay, guys. Like, eh, let's just give him a little slap on the wrist. Like, no, like that's that changed the outcome of the game and that like like people are realizing like pro 100 disbanding because they're eliminated by teams abusing this bug like, yeah, it, it's like it changed, it's like it changed the their context, lives it's like the context is different between like what we normally think of cheating but like it is still cheating like it is you did still cheat so you know yeah and and pro 100 as a as a team was always a team that i was kind of like i was kind of like low-key rooting for where i was like where i think zeus is one of the Co- like the founders of it, it. yeah, yeah, started, he, yeah. so it was kind of like okay this is zeus's a uh, little bit of involvement with counter-strike even after he has departed as a player and i was kind of always like oh, man it'd be really cool if he gets into some good administrative role or manager role so that we can still just have him as a as a person in the scene because it's always it's always fun like you know in a couple of years down the line if if zeus can get on a pod and it's like pro 100 is a top 15 team or something like that and what he has to say about it but now that storyline is just lost like we're never that's just not going to happen anymore we're not going to hear yeah. about pro 100 being the top three cis team or anything like that they're gone so that's a uh it's a big shame it's a big hit in terms of how it's affected the futures and i i have to agree with everybody else that i think that it's just it's admirable of mouse not thinking about the short-term gains that they might be able to find if regin stays on as an analyst but just expelling him from the org entirely just seems to be the uh it's a it's on good moral footing that they it's do like that. as a, as a person you want to feel bad for him because it's just like career yeah. and like it happened all the time but yeah ultimately like you know what he did you can't make up for it like what he did to the other teams there's no like coming back from that unfortunately um yeah as far as the long-term effects of losing regin for Malice is concerned um I think it'll be a little while until we see the actual impact that losing him has. Because uh, again, Kerrigan mentioned how uh, during matches, coaches for at least Regin, but it seems like coaches for Kerrigan teams in general um, seem to contribute, like he said, 5 to 10% of the time they'll trip in with some sort of adaption or strap. But a lot of the time during the matches, it's all Kerrigan. Uh, and for him, his coaches are generally more for pe- preparing uh, or guiding the team outside of the game. And for to see the long-term effects of that, I think it'll take a little little bit to actually see whether mouths drop off or the it, the direct effect it has on their roster. 
All right, let's uh, move forward here. Floppy officially announced. We talked about him last time. Mix had some very kind words to say about him. I think we all did. We really do respect Floppy as a player. Laundra, I'd like to get your thoughts on what you think about this pickup is, because we've, we've more or less said that last week, but what have you got to say? How do you, how do you uh, perceive Floppy? Ever since he won me for Astralis on train, like I've never not been a fan. I, I've been, that, was, that, blew, that one before just blew me away. Like everything about it. I actually did a video on Floppy on that specific match at, at Kedavice and like I was so inspired that I casted the round in my demo review because it was just <laughs> such a good clutch. I played it twice actually at the end of the demo review. Um, that to me, that one singular round showed me that he had all of everything of what it takes to become a solid player versus any team. Like I, to me, it only takes one round. You see, there's perfect execution. They're thinking about all of the right things. They're calculating things quickly. And they are they have a good they have good spray control. Um and it's just like he just was able to nail it in all those fronts. And everything that Josh said about him, like the fact that he's willing to play bad spots so that he just has a very kind of like uh, chill way of approaching uh, hard things to do in on a team. I, it just seems like he's a really good dude and he puts up the numbers. I just have nothing but good things to say about Floppy. Yeah, my reaction to that one before in the green room, I remember just Absolutely freaking out when he won before Destrolls. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, similar, in a similar vein then, Launders, are you a fan of Zelsus because you got that, that pistol clutch at the Major then? Is that, <laughs> is that your just like, is that how you just become fans of players? Just singular clutch moments? Oh, uh, was it first round? Was first was first, his first round ever? Yeah, first like, round of a Major, like Ace yeah. Pistol uh, on Mirage, I think. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Trying to answer based on my fifth <laughs> <laughs> I was just seeing the logic, logic behind the uh, the becoming a fan. No, 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 no. no. Listen, pistol rounds <laughs> are like a completely different game. First of all, okay, so it's not it's not even the same game. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't use a utility. Pistol rounds are not Counter Strike. They are a sub product of, of Counter Strike. They're a mini game. There are mini games. Yeah, there are mini. There are mini games. There's a starting mini game. <laughs> it's to loosen everybody up to get the comms rolling. You know, just like get everybody talking. Like it's not the same. It's just like sometimes you talk a little bit less, more. I mean, it doesn't matter. Honestly, yeah. if any individual pops off on a pistol, it's great for a highlight reel. But in the grand scheme of things, like we know, it's a little bit different than a, once. A once I played against the I by Power in an online qualifier, like a team that we ran into them once, and then. Uh, we played actually one week. We got like 12 rounds against them. It was like huge, like a best day of our lives and this best of one. And then the next week we played them on Inferno and they like wanted revenge, obviously. So we got, <laughs> we won both pistol rounds and got 16 to <laughs> <laughs> Just to show you how un, unimportant uh, or insignificant pistol rounds will be in, in terms of determining how good you are. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's move into the predictions here. Um, Okay, so we've got we've got IEM North America still running right now. The, looks like the playoffs are more or less set. The seating is not set, but the uh, it it looks like in terms of who's going to be moving on, that is set except for one thing. Team One versus Chaos actually is uh, that needs to be played still. The winner of that, to the best of my knowledge, will move forward because I, unless tiebreakers, yeah, yeah, I think that's the tiebreaker here. It, if it's round differential, Chaos already has it locked. But I would, I would hope, I I would hope that IEM NA is using uh, just like who wins 
to be the tiebreaker. So, so for most ESL and IEM events, it'll do head to head, go by head to head and Good. then it'll okay. go by uh, maps one. So it'll do uh, total. I think it'll actually do series one and then maps one. So it'll be based on like head to head. And if that doesn't break it, then it's, it is pretty reasonable as a tiebreaker uh, as far as round robin goes. The, the worst is when it's just like a team lost to another team, but then their round differential is better or something. And it's like, what? Like, are you, like, that to be honest, keep... yeah. These are like NA predictions, so I don't think these take too long. It's like probably yeah, yeah, here yeah. at EG in the final at the moment. Maybe okay, Liquid yeah. will start to play better. And you know, it's kind of the yeah. The I think I think that's that's mostly it. I think uh, New England Whalers are gonna make. You don't think they're gonna make the Dark Horse run to the finals? Anybody? Any takers? I'd actually. I'm actually been impressed with how they played so far. I shout out to them. Yeah. I think they played really well, especially for having a stand-in. I think uh-huh. if they had B-Wills, I might actually be looking for them to like try to take a map off of someone or something, but uh, unfortunately for them, it's, it's probably a stand-in, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, right. with I will say with 100 Thieves as well, like the fact that like the news has already come out with that and there's like no pressure for them for this event could definitely means they could make like a winning run or something. Just yeah. That is like such like a, a strong thing to have. That, that weird, uh, weirdly is. Europe run contrasted with the 100 Thieves North America run? Yeah, that it's just like I love how I love how when a team is disbanding and they know they're disbanding, you don't know if that means they're gonna win a tournament or they're gonna come in last. Like it's it's just like <laughs> yeah. you actually it, it should mean like you'd think players would not try as hard, but I think it depends that, why it disbanded. It's like yeah, they all yeah. hate each other and they just can't wait to like stop playing with each other. It's like they'll probably just go last. But yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's like time's probably up. We should probably like you know, we all gotta go our separate ways now. But this tournament will still be fun, so we'll have fun. And like when you have like that kind of environment, it's pretty easy to play well. I think also sometimes the players that are kind of on the losing end of whatever is happening and moving forward kind of see it as like a contract year for like an NBA player where they're like, they know that, okay, I'm going to get paid next year. My contract's up. So let me just play my goddamn heart out, right? So I, I think that... Like maybe we'll see beast beast mode Liaz moving into the playoffs, right? Like I think that I mean that's just what I hope. That's just that's yeah. I can pray yeah. for that. Yeah. So uh, also this is um maybe an event that not all of us have been following, but I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say. Anyways, uh, so two teams will be moving on forward from the Flashpoint close qualifier, and the reason I bring this up is one because I will be at Flashpoint, and two I want to. Uh, this, like this is a big ass tournament, so this isn't like some insignificant qualification at all. Like this is a really pretty substantial for the funding of any of these teams moving forward. And right now, I don't know if you guys have the brackets up, but Godsend are already in the upper bracket finals for this, and so I think they only have to win two more BO3s to make it through. But I don't know if you guys have the rest of it up. It's basically who do you guys think are going to qualify for Flashpoint season two? Uh, I'm a giant MSL fanboy, so I'll go with North first of all. Uh, they are in the prob- other group. Yep, he is yeah. probably the greatest IGL to ever grace Counter Strike, so I think though they should get through pretty easily. Um, Godsent and then Godsent. Do, do you like do you like the? So do you wait, wait, Do you believe that? Do you believe that MSL is really the best IGL to ever grace Counter Strike? <laughs> of course. <laughs> the Mad Two pick and now the MSL. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I respect it. Um, Got a problem with it? Is there something wrong here? Or you know, maybe maybe you're right. You've worked with him, so 
I, I go on HLTV on sport mode. I didn't come on this podcast to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Index, he, he can be a good IGL, but you won't be able to talk much with Shiro's op down his throat in that match. Yeah. <laughs> so. oh, oh, I actually I one dig Shiro pregame scrim one time. Across the map on train. It was insane. It was actually an insane one. And then you typed yeah, him yeah. in all chat to let him know. S- said NT. Type NT to him. <laughs> yeah, I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah. question, question mark actually is the best <laughs> there mark. yeah what do you think you're when, doing when cobble comes back into the pool we'll see msl have a resurgence how about that i'm ready only if he j- gets magisk back though that's the True. only way yeah, yeah and so- kirby now that kirby's good <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> a lot of things have to fall into place for msl to be the best cobble igl in the world again um okay so would you guys all go with that though godsend and north are the probable favorites to make it through this yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty likely. I'd say, I and think then obviously, I think endpoint without Thomas probably not. VP is always like a run, uh, someone that can make a run. Yeah. They have so much talent. I can yeah. see them beating Godsent, as well as Gambit on the other side. Yeah, um, Gambit is obviously they're always like super impressive whenever I play them in scrims or stuff. So they're definitely another threat on the other side. I haven't seen much of Havu, especially now that they have Yumpy. They really impressed me during Flashpoint one, so I'd like to see them in Flashpoint two again. Especially yeah. playing I don't know how well they'll play or not. I don't know how realistic it is for them to get through, but I wouldn't mind seeing that. But uh, they've yeah. also been playing with X7 too, so it's kind of like... I, think I feel like Havu... They're using MP. Yeah, they are. And both have like six-man rosters using like two of the same players. That's weird, yeah. That's what mm-hmm. it feels like. I, I would have taken... I would have taken Godsent and... And fours, but fours is like they're just so inconsistent. I don't know what happened between last year or the beginning of this year and and now, but fours are just not even close to the same caliber they used to be at. They used to actually really impress me when they used to go into tournaments, but uh, yeah, like they yeah, lost already to Nexus. It's just fortunate. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at this qualifier, and you know what team fell off a of freaking cliff is Heretics. Like well, this team was really promising at the beginning of the year but i've seen a few of their matches since then and every time it feels like they're just kind of playing in this weird box that they cannot get themselves out of like it's like they look so terrified to round corner sometimes that it's just like why aren't you guys just swinging here i looked at the team list and i was like oh heretics is in here and then i looked and they were already out so (laughs) yeah they're already gone (laughs) yeah they came came in last place yeah they're also rumored to be losing nevera so it's not really spelling I don't think it's a rumor, is it? I think it just happened. Did it already it, happen? I thought it was just a report. It's oh, a report. report. It's a report. Might as well. But, yeah, but yeah. that'll be interesting okay. to happen. That'll kind of suck for heretics. The Vitality CEO or something like that did just tweet something like, we just got done signing this player, and it's like, is that even legal that he just says that? But I mean, I don't yeah, know if the contract sure. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know what? Why, why not just like give our little thoughts on Nevera then? Have you guys seen too much of him? What's... uh? inspired you uh, about him not too much i haven't seen like too much of him. was he one thing that does inspire me a bit is i think he was was he an offer before heretics that was like his main thing and then he joined heretics and he was still playing really well even though he wasn't i wasn't too sure but either way he joined heretics he was playing really impressively from the start so i'm really actually really excited to see how he does i, I think, think uh, a really uh, professor from hltv did a did a 
big feature piece on Navera, just talking about his history and sort of uh, how he developed. So he does he's speak been, about that a little bit. He's been opping. He's been opping lately for them, uh, from what I've seen. Uh, he opted against in their last BO3, I know that at least. So um, I think he's so been a opting. a lot of flexibility. At, the clo- at, at this close qualifier, actually, in both BO3s, I know he was their opper. So I don't know if he's been moving around that position or not, but uh, he's he's had some like really nice sh- like it's weird for like any opera you could say this about really but like he's had some really nice shots like he's hit some nine out of ten ten out of d- ten difficulty shots uh at, from time to time but the thing that I that I always get when I see that is like is he just out of position right now is that why he had to hit a hard shot you know like that's mm. so I don't know if that but he's but he's been consistent statistically so I I assume that he's just working with what he's got. Um, but it's kind of weird that Vitality do pick up a six man who is an opper because they have Zywoo. and that. Well, I was saying because he's odd, a good rifler but... as well, so I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be a lot of flexibility, which will be good for them, I think. And I like to see him. Mm-hmm. I don't know when, but I would like to see him play with them like this year sometime. Just, yeah, like kind of another element. See how he does fragging wise, because Miss Utah kind of just got thrown into the deep end from like ESEA main, so he's still been kind of struggling on a fragging basis. So. Yeah, that, that that was a weird pickup. But it also gives them the opportunity to sort of allow Zoo like an event break or something just to just sort of generate. Like he's a good replacement pick to regenerate. It's like parts of Zywoo are just falling off as he's like as he has to carry this team. Like dude, like literally shocks is just like clawing at his back so hard that just pieces are getting ripped off of him and then like and then Zywoo is just like must heal. Zoo is like the head of Exodia and then each of the four pieces are just flashbangs made from the rest of his teammates. Every every arm and leg has a flashbang hold it's holding a flash <laughs> also before i before i get killed uh to correct myself it was lucas who wrote that feature piece uh not prof That's okay cool. <laughs> all right yeah the want to cite our sources properly here yes exactly uh, all right this brings us all to the question of the week once again this segment if you weren't here last week is meant to just kind of throw out a more general question to all of us here it's uh can be a little bit philosophical in nature maybe just a broad topic in general i don't want to romanticize it too much but here it is question of the week what is the most underrated statistic and of course we are talking about counter-strike so let's keep it within those realms COVID testing let's let's yeah. go launders first let's go launders first on this one. i really want to go first on this because i just yeah. worried that someone else would take it and then i wouldn't yeah. have a fallback so it's just something that i feel like that every i've tried to do a better job with on the broadcast something that i feel like it goes unnoticed a little bit, something that we don't talk about enough and can't hammer home enough, and that's deaths per round. That's the I think that is the most under-talked-about stat, most important stat that is right before our eyes that you know some of the better minds in the, in the game understand it's important to not die, but it's simply not a part of the common discourse to really talk about how little someone has died versus how many kills they've gotten. And in terms of talking about economic swings or like how many guns a team can buy in future rounds it goes under the radar you know three four rounds after a really specific death that you'll you'll notice that there was a knock-on effect a death resulted where they didn't need a death resulted in a round where you can't buy and if you're talking about four five or six rifle rounds and a half that like and some of these one or two deaths can be hugely impactful and not very much talked about 
So that's why James is the best player in the game. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> just about to segue with that. But uh, I think, yeah, I think Dutz per round is definitely um, up there for one of the most underrated statistics in the game. Um, I think I would place Dutz per round as, as the top as the most underrated statistic. Second, maybe, would come as like multi kills per round, perhaps, uh, or support rounds. Uh, as a percentage, just based on on overall contributions from teams, but deaths per round is is such a crucial statistic because it really shows you the the importance of staying alive in a lot of situations for for players who play anchor roles, especially because you can have players who play uh, very tough sites. Like for example, if you're solo B on Mirage, you can't be a player who has a high DPR. Like if you are if you're a, dedicated b player on mirage and you have high dpr you're doing something wrong <laughs> yeah yeah surely. um and it's it does partially come down to roles and like as most statistics will match up to different roles but deaths per round is a sort of statistic that goes around for most most types of players regardless of the position or role you play because if you're if you look at Simple, for example, his deaths per round are surprisingly low for a player with the sort yes. of impact that he has. Like it really goes to show you just how crucial the plays he makes are and how successful he pulls how successful he pulls them off time after time to the fact that he has such a high impact rating and such a low deaths per round. That really really just well rounds him as a player. Yeah, I wanna say one thing about DPR that um also plays into it like not only one are you just staying alive so your team can rotate in that they can help you that you know you're not dying so you're not giving up the bomb site but also you're preserving money so if you have a lot of people that have low dpr on team your economy is just simply going to be better into the next round or into the in like you have more opportunities to play with weapons likely speaking well mix right, mix 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 okay so yeah, yeah no that's I'm my good. My stat was a bit, uh, a bit. I went for something a bit different. So I actually went for no. It's still a good stat, though. He's gonna be like so, communication. Comms for round. Idle time in team speak. Comms for rounds. In the U.S., it'd probably be COVID testing. Probably the most underrated stat. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, but in Counter Strike, I was gonna yes. say, I was gonna say, I think CT side five v fours is actually. Like the actual, the actual statistic of it and like how much you're converting it is very important because I yes. think that actually says how like where your picks, like where your 5v4s are coming from and like how successful you are after them. Because it's like if you have like a low percentage of CT 5v4s, more than likely you're just getting traded all the time. So like you're just finding one kill and it's like you get like the opening kick, but if you just get traded immediately, you're not really benefiting from it. So I think you'll see teams like with high CT side percentage round wins. Um, like obviously it seems very simple, but they'll have very high five v fours, and that's because they're putting themselves in positions to get those picks and actually make use of them. They're not just getting exec onto a site and traded and stuff. Yeah, I I love that you bring that up because something I noticed about Dignitas at Flashpoint One is that they actually were pretty good at opening picks. Like they had these game plans to get, find themselves opening kills, but their five v four percentage was I think the lowest in the tournament, and it was just like they just didn't know what to do after it felt like like they didn't know how to set up or how to be comfortable once they found that opening pick. It's like they went over that first part of the round, but then now how do we play our number advantage? Are we going are, like are we consistently uh, converting this? And if the answer is no then it's like something is definitely wrong with just like the way you are settling into rounds. Yeah, like on United, when I joined, I remember like the first three LAN events they played, 
their 5v4 percentage, I'm not even shitting you, was like 55%. Like, oh my god. It, <laughs> there, was, there, was, there, was, there was events where I looked on our 5v4 percentage on the T side, and it was literally like 45%. Like, <laughs> I'm not even what like... The hell? So, yeah, like, how well your 5v4 percentage, and like, on your T side, your 4v5 percentage as well, because that's also kind of telling, like, how, like, where you're actually losing kills if you're losing, if you're getting trades and stuff. Yeah. So, I think those kills are very telling to, like, how successful your actual attack is. Yeah, I, okay, does anybody have anything else to say uh, about uh, that stat? Well, when you mentioned that, the first team I, I went to look up just to, just to check was Furia, because obviously Art does both of those like he'll he'll have the first kill a lot of the time but he'll also he'll get traded or he'll also just be the first step first statistics for this are absolutely insane so across all five or all six of the maps they play they have more or less between 74 and 76 percent win percent after getting the first kill and when considering the amount of times that art goes for an opening pick that's a pretty ridiculous statistic to have they also are ranging between 30 and 35 percent for round one percent after receiving the first death Yes. Um, for contact, yeah. where are like the averages like for other teams? Uh, like, so usually, it'll hover around like like a good a good team will hover around seventy percent for round one percent after first kill. Uh, excellent teams like Astralis in their in their peak 80. days were at like 80, 85 yeah, on nuke. Yeah. I think like their nuke first kills eighty five is like kind of unheard of. Like that's, yeah, that that yeah. is impossible. Eighty five is like. Domination. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was that is like nuke twenty twenty seven or whatever that map streak was. They had some ridiculous number, like eighty three percent or something like that. Uh, but yeah, in general, like those, that's that's a very good illustration of how how good teams are at trading off players. Yeah, I yeah. think the like average for five v four percent is is around seventy flat for pro teams, yep. and for four v five percent, it's probably like twenty six percent. Yeah, like yeah. So I mean, there is. There is like round doesn't change very much when someone dies, right? Because they're like already playing it like it's a forty-five. <laughs> they already knew they, they were ready for that to begin with. Yeah. Okay. Um, my stat is uh trade percentage. Actually, uh, I think the amount of times you're trading just indicates how well you're moving mm-hmm. as a pack, how well you believe in the game plan. And for context here, uh, Phase, who went out in pretty much last place at ESL Pro League Europe, had the was tied for the worst five uh, trade percentage in the tournament with like a seventeen point nine percent. Like there were like five teams that had a, a high seventeen point eight or seventeen point nine percent, so they're all roughly the same. But at uh, Pro League, or I mean, at, not a Pro League at IEM, they had a tournament best twenty two percent, and that's just like. I feel like it's just so indicative that if if you have above 20% on the stat, so let me just break down the stat very briefly. It's that <clears throat> you kind of are aiming for around, like, you would want 20%. I think that's the average, but you would actually really want 25% because that means every single round, if someone dies, on average, one of those deaths are being traded. Assuming you lose all five players. Assuming you lose, like, five five players because there's only four deaths that can get traded. So, like... If you're trading, if you're getting one trade per round, you're getting 25%. If you're getting two trades per round, 50%, three, 75, four. Uh, wait, actually, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The best you can, I mean, sorry, this is a, uh, you lose out on 20% of the stat simply because if the last player dies, he cannot get traded ever. So you actually, the most you can get is, um, is 80% on the statistic, assuming all five players died in a round. So uh, anything above 20%, 
is actually it actually means you're trading more than one death per round for a team. So when teams are under 20%, then they are not like there can be a round where all five of them die and no one got a trade, even if they're like at 17% on the statistic. Hmm. So I've noticed that teams that like teams that have any semblance of structure like Furia is actually kind of particularly bad at this stat because art doesn't get traded a lot of the time. But a lot of other teams like Astralis, for example, uh, phase when they do well, Vitality almost always does very well at this stat. They are going to have very high trade percentages and teams that usually make it deep into tournaments will generally like be a little bit more cohesive in terms of their game plan and structure. So they'll have high trade percentages. But I noticed that teams that have that are bottoming out of tournaments will generally have very low trade percentages. And there's multiple reasons for that. Like, like maybe they just got completely shit on and multifrag. But if you can't kill someone who's multifragging you, that's kind of that kind of says something about your spacing or the exec that you threw, or are people making too many individual plays in rounds? Like yeah, Fnatic, it's happening like over and low. over to the yeah. point where your percentage is getting destroyed. That's probably a sign of a bigger problem. <laughs> yeah, and that's the reason I think Fnatic are really bad online is that their trade percentage is always bad. Their trade trade percents are like. At, at IEM Europe, it was 16%. Like, that's that's actually quite bad. And Big went from having, like, the best trade percentage when they were winning all those tournaments, and now at IEM New York, they had 15%. Like, that's that's in the dark red. That's a bad percentage to have. Yeah, so I think, especially Fnatic style, it's so easy to, like, fall into, like, a bad trade percentage. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's, uh, that's going to be do it. That's going to be it here. All right. Uh, unless you guys have any more thoughts on on stats, but... I know Mix doesn't believe in them, so I mean that's a it's just a damn shame. I mean, he also believes in Mantu and uh, and MSL's top end game leader. So are we really relying on Mix at the moment? Well, I'm telling Henry about all of this. Mantu <laughs> top IGL never. Mantu MSL type IGL. <laughs> MSL sure. best offer. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it, maybe. I'm sorry. How many MSL does have a HLTV MVP? I would like to remind you of that. MSL one, one MVP, Montu zero, just MSL greater than Montu confirmed. All right. Well, that'll be it here. Uh, Launders, do you have anything you want to plug as we close this one out? Uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash csboxer, upload every, every single day. Yes, you, you have been absolutely killing it here. You are literally owning the space right now. Coach Lau has been on top of things. Would you want to, Would you want to be a coach for a team at any point? Maybe like down the line, but um, I like having hair, so it doesn't seem like an amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know, like like it, you know, coming in as like a Sonic or something seems like the not just the ideal situation, but the only smart idea oh. if you can get into a team that like with that much control. But otherwise, it seems like a nightmare, honestly. I I want to say one thing, and this is, I thought I would stop with the podcast on this, but it's just, it's just true, okay? In North America, the best coaches have all been brown. Like, so you're already fitting the bill there. We can think of Chet, and we can think of Valens. We started with both... casual racism, we went with casual racism. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay, it's pointing out, it's just pointing out the, there, that has been the case there. And uh, a brown friend brought that up to me, so... That's just my. That's my. Pass. That's, that's my. Pass. I have brown friends, dude. <laughs> Jesus no. Oh no, where am I going with this? No, okay, no, but I'm just, I just, I had to bring it up again. It's just opening like... coach win percentage for brown coaches is really high right now. <laughs>
<laughs> NA, NA Brown coaches one major, NA non-Brown zero. So just saying. Yeah, uh, speaking as to like your that. lack of control, um, on some teams you'll get in trouble for telling your players to not be late. So definitely a good call there. Yeah. I get in trouble just for tweeting that at North, at North American players. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but, to close it out, my, my shout out is I do recognize that saying budget launders and everything like that is a microaggression and I'll uh, just <laughs> refrain from that in the future. So This, talk, um, this podcast is about male toxicity, right? Toxicity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, alright. That's going to be it here. Unless Noted makes you guys have anything? Mixed, um, my closing C9 shout out is just C9 shout out and MSL is the greatest IGL and opera of <laughs> Gotcha. Follow me nope. down there. Wow, I'm close down there. <laughs> so the guy putting his finger around the moon in the photographs, and he's just like, "Yeah," <laughs> and it's like not even close. right now. Listen, yeah. if I missed it, then they're following one of you. So you guys just have to tweet at me more. Dub. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Okay, that's gonna be it for it's server time episode three. Oh, last shout out. Jesus Christ, forgot this one. We have started the Patreon. So if you guys want to support the podcast, this is going to be spread to uh, me, Note, Mix, and the producer. Be sure to donate to that. That'll be in the description of this uh, this YouTube video. So check that out below. So click the subscribe button, uh, click the bell, and uh, click the Patreon, and try to make it to... The tiers are off of ESCA League, so do you want to be an open player? Shitty. Or do you want to be an MDL player? All right, some eyeballs are on you. So make your choice. Donate to the Patreon, and catch us next week.